Hey guys, welcome to another episode of MC Anime. I'm MC Anime today, and uh, welcome to the episode. And we have another special guest with us today. It's uh, Scott Bradley. He's going to be introducing some horror and some other genres to us. How you doing today? Not bad, MC. Thanks so much for having me on. And I, I can't wait to talk uh, a little bit of horror and how it uh, tends to land in all different styles and genres. And uh, it tends to accentuate everything. And uh, what I love to say is that uh, people who don't think that they love horror movies, they used to love them as kids. They secretly still do. They just don't see how it evolves into different genres and, and helps uh, continue moving the, the art form forward. Alright, so uh, tell them a little bit about yourself, where they can find you, and what you do. Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm a podcaster and I'm an author. Uh, my podcast is called Hellbent for Horror. It's been around since 2018. It's a podcast about everything related to horror, where I talk about horror as art and I talk about it as social commentary. Basically, I talk about movies. I talk about books. I talk about stories. I even talk about music, murder ballads and urban legends and things like that, things that shaped me uh, and uh, those things that shape horror as a film style as well as an art form. And I think that horror is one of the most beautiful and diverse storytelling styles that we've got. It allows for uh, uh, allegory and metaphor, which means that we can talk about the monsters in our lives without having to talk about the monsters in our lives. All monsters are metaphors, and it allows us to talk about those uncomfortable subjects we normally wouldn't, uh, and uh, it gives us a way to show that as a monster. All monsters are metaphors is kind of like Godzilla. You know, you have Godzilla being... Uh, this monster who comes out of the atom bomb being dropped on two cities in Japan. And that is uh, a, a truly astonishing story, and I think it really did change where horror went. So that's the kind of thing that I tend to talk about, and I have a book called uh, Screaming for Pleasure, How Horror Makes You Happy and Healthy. Uh, and that book can be found on Amazon and anywhere else, but uh, Happy and Healthy is basically it's my love story to the creepy crawly things in the world where I talk about how uh, horror itself changes and alters as it goes through all the different generations. It wants to find the part of the generation that there's anxiety about, and it wants to be able to comment about it. Horror can't help but comment on that, and I think that that's one of the healthiest things that it gets to do. It gives us a safe place to confront the monsters that normally get ignored, and uh, we may not notice it for another decade, mm -hmm. but we're usually talking about whatever's going on at the time. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Hellbent for Horror, you can find that uh, podcast on anywhere that you listen to our, our, our podcasts. I think that's excellent because from your unique perspective, the idea for the episode that we're going to do is uh, it's going to be uh, horror from a critic's perspective. That's the theme. So we're going to uh, look at some movies and some franchises a little bit to see where do they align with Scott Bradley's perspective of a of critic background. <laughs> so well, I'm looking forward to talking about all of this. Uh, I, 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 like I, I uh, had mentioned to you beforehand, I watched anime but a long time ago, and I haven't kept up with it because there's so much. The uh, world of horror, the world of a genre, uh, is so broad, and that's what's so great about it. There's something to scare everyone. There's something to entertain everyone, and it's very subjective. Uh, what scares you may not scare me. What scares me might put someone in the hospital. Uh, but at the same point, what is great is that it, it hits on a personal level. 
And it also means that there's horror uh, in, in all different areas that I don't know. Uh, I know that uh, I started watching foreign horror uh, back in the 80s when video stores were around and you could just go in and grab whatever you could. And uh, Asian horror, uh, some Japanese, but Asian in a very specific, uh, very general fashion, uh, really got me through the 90s when horror movies in America really kind of sucked. There weren't that many good horror movies. And a Asian cinema really came through and yeah. took me in a, a different direction. What I love about uh, Japanese cinema and what I love about anime uh, is that it's truly surreal. It goes back to what horror really does best, which is the nightmare world. It you can sometimes have things that are based in reality, and that's great as well. But I think the real gift that horror has is like going back to Nosferatu and Frankenstein oh, yes. and all of these Nosferatu. movies oh, where, gosh. yeah, you end up having... Uh, German expressionism is kind of the thing. It's expressionistic. So uh, Japanese uh, cinema is not logical, straightforward. Yeah. It has this bend of fantasy. It has this dream logic. It has this nightmarish quality. And it bends what the camera normally would do in a film. So if you watch even older Japanese horror films, they're advanced beyond just having the camera stuck on stilts somewhere uh, and people walking in and out of frame. The camera is constantly moving. Moving. Sometimes camera angles depend on the character. Uh, I mean, that's great stuff that was being done in, in Japanese cinema, and I think that's where the cartoons that I grew up with, like Star Blazers and Battleship Yamamoto, those kind of things, Speed Racer, they were so uniquely different mm -hmm. from any other animation that was going on. They had an emotion that was built into the drawing. And I think that's always been something that horror does. Horror allows us to get right directly to an emotion, yep. and so does uh, anime. So I think there's a great mix here, and I can't wait to see what we're going to talk about. <laughs> and uh, Nosferatu is a, is a good point. Uh, I actually watched that uh, in film appreciation. I took a film appreciation class in college. And by taking that class, it was the same teacher who did public speaking, so yeah, public speaking and film appreciation, two separate classes, but the same teacher, loved him. Well, that's why I want to take take him again, but I took him in the same <laughs> semester, so I should have took him in separate semesters, but that's a different story. But he showed us, like, one of, you know, the hero's journey, the critical race, you know, all those different film theories. But Nosferatu was very special, because it highlighted the special effects, the... Mm -hmm. They didn't have the. They had the silent. They were still in the silent film genre, so their expressions were very limited, in like black boxes. I did that in you know mass communications when I did it in high school. We made a silent film. We had to put a gray, uh, gray filter on it. Put captions on it to speak. I had like, I was literally, not kidding. They threw a pie in my face. It was uh, geeks with. Uh, Whatever else they would. The Bonds was the geeks. The jocks. Jocks was the geeks. And that was the silent film. <laughs> but yeah. That was my experience with Nosferatu. I love it. It does. I don't know. It was really good to watch. Even though it was a complete ripoff of Dracula. But that's, kind of, <laughs> that's a totally different argument. Right. Well, that is uh, precisely why they called it Nosferatu and stuff. They yeah. were uh, Even they taking, still got they sued get... and got everything taken from them. Now it's yeah, in public got... domain. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's funny, there's a lot of dispute about Nosferatu, but I think Nosferatu, if you look at uh, some of the, because uh, vampires are pretty big yep. in uh, anime, uh, I, at least what I've seen. And so vampires and ghosts, and the vampires aren't necessarily very Dracula-like. Yeah. They're a lot more Nosferatu-like. They're a lot more feral. They're a lot meaner and crazier and uh, and disturbing, almost alien in some ways. Yeah, and I think it's... Yeah, I think it's wonderful that you talk about something like Nosferatu that you watch that because I think if you really want to learn cinema, uh, movies move. That's part of the name. And so learning to look at the, uh, the visual and have the story be able to be told whether or not you know the language, which is another thing that I think is great about horror. Horror, comedy, and action movies tend to really do well overseas because you don't necessarily have to know all the nuances of the language. You can still get the story through the visual imagery and by the way that people act. Mm-hmm. And so when you're watching the old silent films, you're seeing people who can't speak. That, that voice is not going to be the selling point. They have to use their bodies. Yeah. And, we, and you learn how to use the frame so much. Yeah. And uh, I think that helps in animation as well. Oh, yeah. By the way, I wanted to ask, when we talk about anime here, are you talking about anime as just the Japanese art form the of Japanese the cartoon style? Okay. Because uh, I know that anim- anime is anim- in general. Well, cartoons in the Western atmosphere, I call it animated series. I have anime definition, animated series, and cartoon. Cartoon is like right. substandard plot and right. like educational, like something like Adult Swim. While an animated series is in between, not quite an anime, but not a, not really a cartoon either. It's more like it has a strong fandom like The Simpsons. Uh, you know, it has different things. It has, like, plot. It has the storyline. You know, like, all of that goes in together. What I define animated series in the anime. It's animation directly from Japan. And in the anime from, like, China or Korea, it's not... It's animation. It's Asian animation, but not anime. It's a little okay, that's, that's what I wanted to find out, because I know that uh, there are... Uh, in Japan, I mean, anime is the the name yeah. is coming and from animation. You can sh- you can say, oh, Disney animation. You can call it Disney anime. Well, if you you have to do the Pacific uh, type of animation to call it that, whatever that short, uh, you know, you know what I mean. Because mm-hmm. if it's Marvel animation, Marvel anime has to be that entire line. It cannot be separate because once you separate right. it, it's two different things. Right. Okay, got it. I wanted to make sure so I don't go down the Korean path, which is one of the things that uh, uh, South Korean horror films have been amazing oh, yeah. since 1990 or so. Uh, so uh, we have a, gener- a pre-generated list that I'm going to use, and uh, let's uh, talk about Frankenstein real quick. That's in the oh. uh, order of Nosferatu. Sure. Well, Frankenstein is uh, I, one of my favorites. Uh, one of my entry points into horror was Frankenstein. Uh, the idea itself is absolutely disturbing, 
but uh, the monster was so original and uh, still I mean it's 100 years old and you still see almost 100 years old and it's yeah. you still see that face and that look as this iconic thing of uh, the beast who comes to life what I love about uh, Frankenstein is just the the concept itself uh, it comes out in the 30s uh, we're going through the depression and uh, you'll notice that a lot of times movies that really uh, do well during times of, of hardship yep. tend to have something to do with horror. It doesn't necessarily mean absolute, uh, mm -hmm. but at the same point, you'll see that when things are going a little bit crazy, uh, when there's turmoil, when there's anxiety, the horror film tends to answer. Uh, when you look at uh, Frankenstein itself, it's kind of an answer to the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. You know, you have Mary Shelley writing this uh, at a time when London is going crazy. Yeah. You know, overnight, it turns into factories and stuff where people aren't sleeping people are losing their limbs working in places so the idea of a monster being made out of body parts is yeah. kind of disturbing yeah. let alone the whole god thing that True. goes into it and also you know the human complex of reanimation do you put mm -hmm. all these different parts to make your own human which is now a uh psychokinetic being who has the capability of emotion, but is not understood by in the medium of the people in that perspective universe of the film, reacting negatively to that creature. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a very interesting point. I, I think there's a time period which is a little bit before me called Monster Kids and that's when all of this stuff suddenly became important and exciting uh, monster movies and horror and all that was considered Saturday morning kids stuff uh, and then the baby boomers came in and you know one of the things they did give us <laughs> was horror movies and monsters yeah. becoming kind of uh, something that uh, could be appreciated and so we have a lot of people my age that really uh, related to the monster. I mean, the monster is a kid whose dad rejects him, right? And yep. he's considered the freak. There's something wrong with him and everybody picks on him. He just wants love and he acts like a temperamental kid. He ends up drowning a, a child trying to play. He doesn't understand play, wants to play. Mm -hmm. Wants to be uh, uh, taken into the fold and is, you know, basically yeah. pilloried, burnt. And, and so the idea of the God or the father rejecting the kid. I got that. You know, as a kid, I related. And I think the monster is sympathetic. Boris Karloff does such a great job of making him, he could kill you in a heartbeat, and he does. But he's also sad. He's also scared. He's also alone. And that was uh, something that I think uh, for the rest of the time of horror, uh, we've been chasing the tail <laughs> of, of Frankenstein. Because Frankenstein asks the big question yeah. that I think all horror is about, which is, where do monsters come from? Do they come uh, we from make... the deep death? Or do they come from a human-made laboratory? Or do right. they come from our own creation of the idea that this unknown entity is a monster right that's awesome. do we make our own monsters yeah, yeah exactly and you know even uh like a monster of the deep that has a totally different mystery because we don't know what's down there right and right. by not knowing we create all these images 
what it might look like. What is it? How does it evolve? Does it happen from a mutation from this? Is it used to be human? And now this weird hybrid creature that is human-ish, but looks totally different. Yeah, but I think uh, you're, you're on to something there. Uh, horror tends to define what we're like. I like to say that uh, there are the second story ever told around a campfire was a horror one. The first story is a tribal leader going, thank you, earth and animals for the food and thank you tribe for being here we're strong in numbers uh, your family i'm family and the second story is don't go in the woods if you yep. go in the woods something's going to eat you oh, so it's a cautionary tale right and so woods, it's a classic horror theme yeah it's the classic theme and it tells us what we're afraid of it says more about us than it does about the monster what we decide to turn into monsters and i think you can see that around that silent era that you talked about nosferatu and frankenstein's just at the edge of that it's yeah. it's not the first sound it's film but it's one out. of the early it's ones it's coming out but it's something for horror that's now uh auditory inclined instead of just visually Right, right, right. And, uh, I mean, back in that day when uh, the monsters used to be like Lon Chaney and Man with a Thousand Faces, most of his monsters ended up being people who were deformed. And a lot of that came from uh, the World War, World War One where people were coming back scarred and named, and there was actually a government rule that, they, that you couldn't go outside if you were terribly named because you were a downer for everybody else. People would be upset by seeing you without an arm, without an eye, and so they started putting ceramic things on people's faces uh, so that it would hide that they had a hole in their face. And lo and behold during that time is when we had all these movies about freaks right all these movies about you know, the bad guy was the guy with one leg the bad guy was the guy with no arms yep. you know and it's so it tells us a lot about ourselves you know we can look back mm -hmm. and uh, we can be ashamed of ourselves sometimes yeah. in what we made monsters and also another curiosity is underworld the creature from the block lagoon Oh, yeah. Still, I think, one of the scariest-looking monsters, one of the coolest-looking <laughs> monsters ever. And I love that movie. It creeped me out as a kid. And the idea, it's something that uh, yeah. we get later in, in uh, American cinema with Jaws and things afterwards, where the underwater is like the creature under your bed. Right. Mm -hmm. It's under there somewhere. We have this real fear of whenever we're in the water, we're no longer the masters of our domain. Our legs are kicking. We have no idea what's kicking right around us. Oh, and yeah. it's that fear of the unknown that spurs most horror. So when we're watching Creature of the Black Lagoon and we see this guild thing yep. just coming after this woman, my favorite scene, I think everybody's favorite scene, probably others too, it's when she's swimming and right underneath he is mirroring her. And they shot that with, I think uh, they didn't have an air tank on the guy. And so he had to do this take as long as he could. And then I think they had an air tank down there or something where he was able to get some more air to shoot. But uh, it's one of those things that's such a beautiful, subtle image of this woman swimming. And it's everything that we fear about being in the water, right? Oh, yeah. You can't get away. You can't get away fast. And there's something right underneath you, and you don't even know it. And it's potentially deadly. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's 
It's very, like Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's a very simple storyline. It mm-hmm. it captivates what's unknown in the lagoon. You know, Creature from the Black Lagoon. That just sounds in it in itself sounds right. like it's a, a great name. mysterious title that just right. captures you just by hearing it. You want to see it. It's like, what's the creature from the Black Lagoon? What does yeah. it look like? Is it terrifying? Is it a is it something like was it entering an alligator or is it its own entity? <laughs> you know, like we don't know what it is. So when you yeah. actually see it, and you see it's more like based on a lizard. Oh yeah. Combination of Frogman, you just get thrown off. Yeah. Oh, it scared me as a kid. That first shot of where his whole face is filling the screen. Oh, that was nightmare fuel mm-hmm. for me. I was like, oh man, that's that's like worse than my angry uncle. Oh, my <laughs> right? And you just think of the uh visual the makeup going into that. The to achieve Incredible. that. They don't have the technology we have. So they have oh. to do full-on bodysuit, you know, makeup. If they did, you know, because sometimes you have to make a aquatic suit that has to go underwater. Yeah, so uh, it was an amazing accomplishment. I, I, I'm trying to remember the woman's name who who created that that outfit, but it's legendary. Names. I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. It's actors, legendary. I don't know producers, directors. Yeah. Very few in between that I know. I just know the movie. <laughs> I don't right, even know right. the, the uh, characters who play it. <laughs> well, it used to be so primitive. I mean, there was yeah. a guy named Jack Pierce who mm-hmm. did the makeup for Frankenstein, Dracula, yeah. the Mummy, the Wolfman, the original Wolfman, and uh, he was king of that stuff. But he, it took forever. He had to invent everything. Well, like that head that Frankenstein had—that's like cotton. Cotton, and they just put mixed mixed up paint and stuff on it, and then they smoothed it out as best as they could. But that whole thing, uh, they were inventing it. There was no latex. You know, that stuff was not there. Uh, so when they came up with the creature of the Black Lagoon, that was basically taking a scuba suit mm-hmm. and really working it up and turning it into something that was thoroughly unique. I think it's, it's the great makeup of yeah. that time period. As much as I love... Frankenstein for its subtlety and and how iconic it is. Creature of the Black Lagoon has to be the biggest risk-taking thing ever. Like, makeup underwater, you know, if that suit doesn't work, the movie doesn't work. And it was really terrifying. I thought it was really good when I saw it as a kid, and every so often I go back to it because it's just, it's It's got a really simple idea. To me, it's just one of those films, if you watch it, it's just striking in the time period, and the plot is just spot on. You can follow along and just know mm-hmm. exactly what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I, I love uh, the elegance and simplicity of some of those movies. Like, Them was another one of the giant ants. Yep. The giant ants. Wow. Yeah, giant ants coming out of the desert after the <laughs> nuclear uh, testing. Yeah. And that scared me as a kid, but it's such a simple idea. Yeah. Yet, you know, you want to talk about nature getting back at you. Yeah. Uh, giant ants, that <laughs> works. I think mine was probably, when I was younger, was a film with pterodactyls. But, like, they were in a mountainside, and they were attacking people, and they were trying to find out what was going on and why they are being attacked. It was just... That was one of the movies oh, that I probably shouldn't have watched because I was maybe a little too young. <laughs> I remember 
just kept thinking that all the entire night, and I was told not to watch it, but I watched it anyway. I don't know. I, just I kept, love that. I just remember. I don't know what it was called. It's it's not I, I'm, dinosaur I'm not... type movie. It's the pterodactyl is just in the mountainside. And the right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what one that is, which is great. It means I have to try and find out because I'm that kind of obsessive person. <laughs> I know that there was Q, the winged serpent, which was uh, a giant uh, pterodactyl-type monster in New York City that was coming down and oh, no, grabbing was, people out of This in the uh, mountainside. Yeah. So that's really interesting. I like the idea of them being in the mountainside. And, and I attacking mean, everybody, and they they were the only last hope to not let these creatures out in the world because of how devastating they are. Yeah. You start that, them, and then you see a, it, it, the, then you get a bunch of uh, blood and all that stuff. Yeah. People I, I, taking out of the house and just getting eaten. I was like, what is this? <laughs> I love that you said that this was something that you probably shouldn't have watched at the time because I think that that's when we find what I call our first kiss, which is the thing that gets us completely <laughs> addicted into this stuff. Yeah. You know, we watch a bunch of horror movies that your parents allow you to watch and stuff like that. But then there's the one that you're not supposed to watch. And that's the one that's yours, that changes everything mm-hmm. for you. And I love hearing those from people. Uh, I hear all sorts. And I love that I've heard one that I've never heard before because it's a movie I don't even know. I, don't I, I keep title. wanting... I yeah, I mean, there's... research and find it later, but... It's going to be a lot of search. It's amazing because I've, I've seen a lot of dinosaur movies and monster movies, but that one's not dino- necessarily... I don't think they, that it's based on dinosaurs, really. Right, this is a pterodactyl. Which is dinosaur genre. That I think right. maybe they never gone extinct. Kind of, right. I don't know. That's that's the usual kind of thing that is yeah. brought up. And I think pterodactyls, it's a fun one because yeah. they uh, birds are the last dinosaurs, yeah. really. They're the, they're the evolutionary yeah. chain, them and alligators. Yeah. But uh, birds even more. They haven't evolved very much from that yeah. time period. They just, uh, the bigger ones died out. Yep. So a pterodactyl out of anything hiding somewhere, uh, well, that would scare the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> True. And that brings us to uh, the next uh, one on the list. I think it's, I believe, that would be, I think, American, yeah, American Werewolf in London. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, American Werewolf in London is an amazing movie. Uh, it came out when I was in high school, yeah. and uh, it was... There had never been a movie quite like it uh, in visual sense. Uh, It's kind of an old idea. It goes back to the original werewolf guy uh, monster where you have uh, a curse that's put upon somebody. Whoever's bit by a wolf will become a wolf in the moonlight. Uh, Although the first one, the moon's not really that important. uh, And uh, silver bullets uh, aren't brought up and all sorts of different things. So it's interesting that this one kind of takes that old tradition and modernizes it, puts it yeah. in the, the, the Scottish locks and, and in England and in London. But what was really great about that movie, outside of just the special effects, which are so amazing, was that it was a movie that was one of the first that did 
comedy and horror together and mixed them right mm -hmm. where they really wanted to be scary when it was scary and they were funny when it was supposed to be funny it wasn't making fun of horror it was finding the humor in this situation that was happening and our ideas about horror being put into that movie. Yep. Uh, the, the, the first attack is really violent yeah. where the, the friend is killed and he's bit. Uh, and then we have some humor, even when the transformation oh, yeah. is happening. They're showing like uh, Disney statuettes and stuff, and there's silly music playing. And it's uh, and what was really great about that transformation is it happens in broad daylight, right? And yeah. it's a bright room. And uh, most of those movies before that, they would always have this fading uh, transitional thing. They would do wipes of a guy just standing going, and they put a little bit more makeup on. They turn the camera back on. It would look like he was growing fur right there. But it was always hidden in shadow. It was always done with multiple takes and the thing that they wanted to do in uh, American Werewolf was get rid of all of the shadow and hiding places for the special effect and have you literally have to watch this guy's hand stretch and his face break out and how scary and how painful that whole thing would be. So it was yeah. super revolutionary. First movie to win an Oscar for best special effects. They actually made the category because special effects are starting to really get big in yeah. movies and uh, they like jumped in technology every year and so they were like we can't hide this anymore we have to put an Oscar together yeah. because if we're giving it for best makeup and we're giving best makeup for people who are doing powdered wigs uh, what about the, the guy who's creating a creature out of rubber and uh, pieces of metal and pistons so uh, uh, Rick Baker that was the start of a very well it wasn't the start of his career but that was the start of a legendary career uh, where he went on to make quite a few uh, amazing films and do his own werewolf movie he then uh, was involved with a werewolf movie in the 2000s uh, most of that was CGI but yeah. there was still some makeup in there oh yeah I like the classic vamp I, I like the classic werewolf that it's spread by a virus and that that transition yeah. of biting or scratch transmits that yeah. virus to you it's not yeah, like rabies it's not a bloodline tradition yeah. like other werewolves or it's just like it's similar to a zombie virus right. the z virus coming out and just affecting everybody yeah. and you'd be affected by yeah. it too you can add more just like vampirism and all that stuff i like that more than i don't know yeah. ancient family bloodline I mean, he or werewolves yeah. by blood and i was like okay yeah <laughs> well it's it's, an, it's our greatest old fear right yeah. we're afraid of the other we're afraid of the thing that's mm -hmm. out there that can take us away from our families cooties when you're a kid you're playing cooties right you're like no. ew don't touch me you got cooties and, you know, oh. what, what what is tag really uh, which is a great japanese horror film by the way mm -hmm. tag if you haven't seen that tag oh that sounds interesting but oh, yeah. tag's really crazy. Yeah. I'll just give you the opening of it. There is a wind that is blowing through Japan. That is, the wind itself is cutting people in half. And there's a scene in the very beginning where there's a school bus full of uh, schoolgirls, the mm -hmm. traditional Japanese schoolgirls, and they're heading to some... Uh, uh, school function. There are two buses, and the bus up in front, as the bus driver's watching, he watches the top half of the bus just come right off and blood flying everywhere. 
And before he knows it, it's happening to his bus. Yeah. And there's one girl who she drops, I think, a pen. And she goes down to pick up the pen. And as she's laying uh, down there, the thing goes through. The wind rips through this. And you just see all of her friends' heads just come off. Yeah, at the top I, of the- I think that reminds me of an anime or something with the wind. Yes, something. absolutely. That's one of the things that uh, I think is really interesting in Japanese cinema yeah. and in anime, in the horror area at least, that they definitely marry from each other. Yeah. They definitely come up with the ideas. And it's always this very strange uh uh, experimental thing. I mean, killer wind is not something that we would normally think of. And at least not a wind that would cut people in half. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's this is thanks to like the wind uses using as a weapon. Uh, right. It's like a, a sword, an invisible yeah. sword going through the air, and people are running and hiding, and you can see people not making it and falling yeah, over. Wind being I mean, that fast. That yeah. is, that's not even not even hurricane winds can do that. Right, even right. when you go so, across the Sonic Bay, I don't even think it does that. So is it a creature in the wind? Is it just supernatural wind? Is it uh, that there's an invisible beast that's so big that yeah. it creates a wind as it's going through? Mm-hmm. What I love about uh, this stuff, like uh, Spirals, mm-hmm. the uh, horror movie Spirals, uh, which I... Uh, Uzumaki, I think is how you say it in, in the Japanese title. But that's a movie that where people are dying, getting insane over the spiral patterns yeah. that they're seeing in snails and stuff. And they're killing each other and committing suicide. Mm-hmm. And it's never explained. It's not like, oh, there's a ghost and there's a curse. No, it's just like, well... This is a, a town that's cursed now. For some reason, you know, the smoke starts swirling in spirals and people start killing each other. And uh, I love that. I, I think that that's hitting on what is cool about horror, the, uh, the idea of the unknown. I love monsters. I love even serial killers and slashers. But I really have a love for when horror goes supernatural and it doesn't explain it. Oh, yeah. Like, uh it's really fun like that because they don't have to explain the continuity is like no. well you watching our B tier movie it's independent or whatever you watch it for the for the sake of watching it yeah. <laughs> it, it catches something inside of you something unconscious is how I look at it I think we're always talking about what scares us mm. in our art and I think uh, horror allows it to be a little bit more honest in that. Mm-hmm. But there's also stuff uh, I love when it's unknown because that's kind of the modern aspects of horror. Uh, back in the uh, in the 30s when you have Frankenstein and stuff, you could have the monster do terrible things, but it had to be punished at the end. Yeah. There had to be an end to the movie where good triumphed. Uh, all the way up to like the thing and the blob mm-hmm. and all these things, the monster has to be put back in the box. Yeah. And then... Uh, around 1960 with Psycho, we have Norman Bates that changes it being a monster to looking like the boy next door. But it's really the zombie movies, uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead in 1968, uh, that changes everything that doesn't allow uh, the monster go back in the box. So I love when the ghost story doesn't end with uh, the, the the curse is lifted. I love when there's not really, uh, like, ghost stories for me, the first two-thirds of the movie is the most terrifying thing ever. But then once they know it's a, gir- a ghost and they have to do the co- curse, then I'm like, look at my watch, well, I'll put the key yeah. back in the box, whatever it is. I mean, uh, the idea of being stalked 
the idea of being prey, which is what we were afraid of with the creature mm-hmm. of the Black Lagoon and the shark and everything. We don't like being preyed upon. And that's where we get uh, a great amount of our fear that uh, lands in horror movies is us being put in a position we'd never want to be in in real life, but we get to experience it in the safety of our homes. Speaking of justice, we kind of had to take another revolutionary uh, thing in horror, or the thrasher, slasher genre. One specific <clears throat> example, I spit on your grave. Wow, that's a that's an amazing one to bring up, and it's 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 so. Uh, I watched it great. and I loved the movie, and it's just like, yeah, this was a movie. Oh God, I know the, the rape revenge genre is huge. Uh, it's yeah. getting bigger now, and I think it says something about where we are. And it's in, not. A, uh, I don't think it's culture. exploitive. Uh, you know, it's not in that exploitive nature. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I love how times change and how culture changes and matures. So when I Spit on Your Grave first came out, it was considered one of the most repulsive films ever made. Uh, It was called Garbage. Movie ever. And that actually yeah. had the opposite effect. Made more people want to watch it. I even watched exactly. a documentary of it. It's like, there's even a documentary and then explain all of this. It's like, what in the world? Yeah. Well, the documentary is great because it gives you an idea of what the director was trying to do. I mean, half of that movie is a rape, right? A a gang rape. And his thing was he actually had that happen where he was driving with his little girl uh, in a park and this naked woman who's bloodied up comes staggering out of the woods and he takes her to the hospital and the police are treating her like she's the problem. Yeah, and they're like, where were you? What were you doing? And that affected him so much, being someone who saw that pain, mm-hmm. that he decided to make a revenge film where the woman actually gets to take the guy out and cuts one guy's penis off yeah. in the tub. All that great stuff that makes that movie jaw-droppingly... Uh, I don't call it exploitive. I, I, I look at it as that is like raw, visceral emotion. Yep. That's like... A scream from everybody. You feel that movie when you watch it. That's one that if you're titillated, like back in the 70s, every movie, it seemed, had a nude scene like a rape scene. You know, uh, you'd have westerns where there just have to be the one maiden girl who some guy comes and rips her top off and pulls her down to the ground. It was like this weird thing of, it was eye candy. Yep. We were we were titillated or attempted to be titillated more than we were supposed to be uh, empathizing. And how do I know that? Because when I watch I Spit on Your yep. Grave, there is no titillation whatsoever. You are looking down at your shoes at a certain point because it is so brutal. Yep. And what I find interesting now is that it's now a movie that feminists love. Oh, yeah, they can uh, identify I, with it more because like, it tells a story that... There is you you can't well necessarily always rely on the the quote unquote system to help fix it. Sometimes that what you did in your own interpretation of justice can be afflicted if you do it, and if you do it, you know what does that look like? That what that answers that question. If you took your own self justice. Mm-hmm. For in this situation, you know, it, we always had this, the vigilante mode of take an eye for an eye, but this was literally, this was more than this take eye for an eye. You know, yeah. she didn't just do that to them to 
you know, oh, now you be against your will. And But it's like, oh, well, you also going to end your life just like you left me for dead. Right. And the things that uh, you did, I'm going to do similar or even do worse. Kind of. Yeah, and she's not happy at the end, right? Yeah. It's not a happy ending. I think that says a lot about what uh, horror movies do. They get us thinking about that kind of thing. They let us look at the darkest parts of ourselves, that shadow part of us that nobody wants to admit is there, but is there because it's a human thing and it's a primal thing. But you're hitting on something that I have a strong part in my heart about with horror. I don't just talk about the movies that are like, people will say, oh, that's an art film. To me, if you want to know what's freaking people out in any uh, decade. Go back and watch the really trashy horror movies, the drive-in horror movies, the, the, the made-for-TV horror movies that were happening at that time, because exploitation is honest. Exploitation tells us what we're afraid of, because they have to make money. They need to know what's going to push our buttons. So, like, uh, when you're looking at uh, The Exorcist and all these movies that happened in the 70s where uh, it was basically kids out of control and the parents don't know what to do, well, that's what was happening in the universities. That's what was happening. The church was losing its power. The Catholic Church was super powerful, and all of a sudden it was losing some of its power because of its scandals. Uh, And... you see that with feminism when uh, the the, the um, equal rights amendment was coming out in the seventies. There were all these movies like the Stepford Wives, and there were all these movies about rape uh, because there was an anger that was going on. You look back earlier, the giant ants and stuff. Yeah. We dropped bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. And so all of a sudden we're worried about the, the box, right? We can't put Pandora back in the box. And we've got this whole thing that is happening where we feel guilt. Oh, yeah. You know, we killed a bunch of people. Yeah. And so we're worried, is nature going to get us back? Yeah. Are people going to get us back? The communists scare. Oh, all yeah. of that uh, is in the horror movies of the time. You know, yeah. the other oh, was yeah. really that. And uh, now... When I brought up the ice spill in your grave, it's like, well, this is going to be uh, an interesting tag on the podcast, for at least. <laughs> because I know what yeah, I right. up is like, it's like that borderline. But you know what? I wanted to discuss it because I loved it so much. Yeah, it's a, it really is topical, too. Because yeah. that is the screen that's inside of so many people, specifically women, who feel unheard, right? In the, in the tagline. Yeah, I spit on your grave. Uh, yeah, well, it's this woman has just maimed, chopped, and stabbed five men, and no yeah. court would convict her, I think is the tagline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't forget that one, right? Oh, that's yeah. just well, That tells you exactly what you're in for. Oh, yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I think uh, horror does so well. We have to talk mm-hmm. about these wish fulfillments, but there's no yeah. way. You couldn't talk people into watching a drama about rape and uh, women who don't get listened to for two hours. There'd be a specific group of people, but it'd be like preaching to the converted. Those are the people who want to hear that story. Yet, if you're putting it into a horror movie, all of a sudden, people who would never get near that are curious, and they want to see what's there. It allows us to talk about the things that we normally would not want to discuss in 
in proper company, yeah. right? Uh, and that's what I, I, sp- I spit on your grave is great. I mean, Siskel and Ebert hated it. Everybody hated it. And now it is like uh, the, the new feminist manifesto. Oh, yeah. And I, I even, in my book, I talk about it. And I talk about how that switch came along. And I, I talked to some women who are feminists. And they were like, yeah. yeah, you know, we don't really want to cut people's dicks off. But the idea of having the <laughs> fantasy of it after having a full day of some guy trying to, you know, date rape me yeah it has crossed my mind that maybe i need a release and this movie's kind of a primal scream in that so i think that and some slashers uh there are women who absolutely love slasher films because it is a situation they would never ever want to be in but they're able to experience that and then they get to watch a woman put an axe in somebody's head for for doing those things speaking of slasher what's we have to bring up halloween Friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street Freddy Krueger, okay. Jason, and Mike Myers. Let's just put them all together. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you would similar. say that. Yeah. Yeah. I love all three of those movies. Uh, I think if I was to say which uh, the true slasher in yeah. that group is Friday the 13th. Yeah. Because Friday the 13th creates that template more than Halloween does. Mm-hmm. Halloween, to me, is, is a horror movie that is talking about the creation of a legend yeah. where you have uh, like this thing where someone who is flesh and blood goes into a prison, but the story of that person gets so mm-hmm. big by the time they come out, they are the person of that, they become the very scary boogeyman that everybody's talking about. It becomes supernatural. And to me, supernatural and slasher, uh, there are people who will argue that supernatural slashers exist. They'll call Nightmare on Elm Street a slasher. But, I mean, the only thing that Nightmare on Elm Street has that's really a slasher thing is that teenagers are getting killed by a guy. And there's a revenge contingency in it that he was burnt alive by the parents. But this is happening in dreams. This is a ghost story. This is a monstrous ghost story. This is something that is in your dreams that can literally kill you, and it becomes corporeal. It's thought of so much that it becomes something real. But uh, when you talk about slashers, uh, uh, Friday the 13th is punk rock. That was like the invention of punk rock. I remember when that movie came out, and, you know, Halloween was scary not very bloody. It had uh, a body count of kids, teenagers being killed, but it was really more about being scared, the suspense. That movie was about suspense. That movie was kind of like an older film. It felt a little bit like a Hitchcock movie in a way, but modernized to have a little bit of nudity and uh, and, uh, a really scary main character. But then you have uh, Friday the 13th, and that movie was like, no, we're going to kill people. We're oh, going to yeah. kill people a lot. <laughs> and you're going to see everything. And that was like wish fulfillment come true. And yeah. so the, the slasher films were amazing for a couple of years because mm-hmm. the early ones, there was no final girl. I mean, yeah. there's a final girl that you see in Friday the 13th. But then there's movies uh, where the final girl dies. Uh, the final girl's a guy. You know, they had no rules when they first came out. And it felt like like people watched Game of Thrones because they were like, anybody can die. Or they would watch uh, The Walking Dead. Anybody can die. Oh, yeah. And that's what every slasher was like. You were like, anybody can die in these things. In fact, everybody is probably going to die. It's going to be left like mm-hmm. two people. And they would use very inventive ways of killing people. And it was like a, it was like a, and I don't want to curse because I don't know what your shirt is like, but uh, it, it's an F you. It's, it's- it's only going to have that tag, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll say it's, uh, it was like an F you to 
that time period, which was uh, the Reagan 80s, where uh, everybody was uh, very conservative in some ways, but very warlike. It was kind of this weird time. And so uh, the slasher film was like this attack on family values in its own way. You know, it was like, yeah, we're, our kids are going to smoke, we're going to do all this. And yet at the same time, mm-hmm. these movies had a certain conservative side to yeah. them, which was if you have sex, you die. Yeah. And that was something that became more of a thing in the later movies. Mm-hmm. In the early movies, having sex is a titillation, and it was also a time when you were your most vulnerable. If you're oh, naked yeah. in bed, you're just you're, you're not ready for somebody to come out with a chainsaw or a, oh, a bow and arrow and, and, and you know, whatever it might be yeah. and those first deaths in the first slashes were so ruthless and i mean the first friday the 13th there's no supernatural in it at all there's really no j or uh there's no jason yeah you know it's mrs Voorhees, uh and it's it's more like a, what we're called as jalos mm-hmm. the uh the italian slasher films of the 70s yeah. where it was just a murderer but the murders were so over-the-top gory and, and weirdly beautiful uh, that uh, it became its own type of film. Yeah. And so the first Friday the 13th has a lot of that to it. It's a mystery. There's a killer who's very human and takes down all these people in very gory ways. And then after that, when you get to part two, you know, oh, he's not dead. And then after that, he becomes like a supernatural character yeah. one of the things that's really cool about the friday the 13th movies is that he's almost treated like a force of nature mm-hmm. if you watch those movies you'll see the wind always starts blowing there's usually rain something happens when jason comes by <laughs> he affects the weather he affects the nature around him he's always well he's not always in the woods he's in manhattan he's in space there's all sorts of places yeah. jason gets to go in that franchise but that's a that's like the original to me uh, a slasher because that's what yeah. kicks off everything oh yeah uh, where you Definitely. Permission. We have permission to get gross. Yeah. And, you know, from that transition of slasher into, like, the creepy unknown, let's go back to another classic of Jaws. Oh, well, Jaws is so great. I think that's... I, Jaws. I tell people that is, like, one of the very few perfect horror films. There are mm. many movies that yeah. are perfect. There are very few horror movies that are perfect. But the first half hour of Jaws is a mm-hmm. perfect horror movie. Yep. And it's, once again, that whole thing that we talked about with Creature of the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. I think Steven Spielberg perfected for an entire generation. I mean, we're still mm-hmm. Sharknado. There are a million shark movies. There's a new one coming out every year. And that's all because of the power that there was of Jaws. Jaws is like shark. Frankenstein ah. and Dracula. A two-headed, yeah. a two-headed head, no, a two-headed shark hybrid coming to attack you. It's like, what is this? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's so crazy where it's gone. But that has uh, that has a lot to do with how much Jaws tapped mm-hmm. into the, our subconscious, our up, unconscious area, the biggest things that we fear. And once again, it's the idea. I think that Steven Spielberg turned the entire ocean into that space under our bed that we don't yep. want our feet to hang over while we're in bed sleeping. And, and funny uh, enough the, that the uh, the creatures based on what sharks can swim in the fresh water. Bull sharks, great whites, mm-hmm. tiger sharks are all bull sharks especially. They are especially known to go into fresh water more than any other shark species. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Because I've I've watched a bunch of times the bull shark goes in to the rivers, they spawn, put the youth in there, 
it's like a spawning ground, and then the, they go back to the ocean. So they come back in that spawning season, and as a result, they can tolerate about 100 miles in, inland of fresh water. That makes sense, actually, because I'm thinking about how, uh, I mean, uh, rivers, yeah. they all flow into the ocean for the most part, and so uh, a big river... Uh, would be a spot where there's fresh water, there's a mixture of fresh water and salt water at a certain spot. Yep. And uh, like I live in the, the Bay Area here in, mm. in San Francisco, and I can go down to the Bay and I can see where creeks and small streams flow right into the Bay. And it's really interesting to see this spot where the two waters are kind of like swirling together because one is pure salt, well, not pure salt, but salt water, and the other is fresh water. Yep. And uh, I know that there's lemon sharks and stuff like that that are in, uh, in, in the Bay, and you can see them every so often oh, swimming yeah. by. That's a scary idea. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> but it makes sense. I watch sense. a lot of river monsters, so Jerry Wade is always taking me on a journey of whatever else fresh war monster he encounters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, Jaws is one of my favorites because it just—it's so simple, right? So and it's. And it's a real monster, right? Yeah. It's something that we really are afraid of. And it's something that tapped into... I remember when that movie came out, nobody went... Uh, I went to the beach, and there'd be like 10 people in the water. Everybody else is on the beach. No one's going in because that movie just got under people's skin so much. And I went into the water, and I stepped on some shells, and I jumped in the air, screamed. <laughs> of course, I'm thinking it's a shark mouth, but uh, it was just something else that was in the water. And to me, uh, that's the thing about Jaws. It's yeah. The shark is scary. But it's the idea that the shark can be anywhere that's scary. There's a really good one that came out a couple of years ago called The Reef. That's one of the movies that uh, is a good Jaws ripoff that's really kind of suspenseful and scary. And it's also good because it hits on the idea of what's underwater is what's terrifying. What you see on the top isn't nearly as scary and so there's a lot of people like kind of realizing the way that things are happening around well, that them that there's a shark nearby Godzilla. the mother comes out to protect the young and yeah. after the mother dies the father comes out and then the father's yeah. on the bridge and they have to take him on the bridge yeah, I love, uh, I'm so happy that we got to talk a little bit about Godzilla it's so easily forgotten Godzilla, Godzilla. This is the recent one American yeah. Godzilla, not the one, oh, yeah. the monster, monster verse. <laughs> the, the Godzilla idea is so mm -hmm. great to me, and it talks to how horror speaks to what scares us. Think about a horror movie being made within a decade of 9-11, right? Oh. When 9-11 happens, and that's just not happening. But Japan did that. Because they had a bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and within a decade, they had Godzilla rising out of the water, shooting fire, not blowing up San Francisco, not blowing up New York, blowing up Tokyo. Yeah. This is like really talking about the grief and the horror of what happened to them and the shame. Yeah. In a way, they brought that on themselves. And so there's that whole feeling that here's this monster, this god coming out of the water to punish mm -hmm. the Japanese again and again. So think about being someone who is Japanese 
within a decade of having two cities basically laid to waste, laid to waste, and you're watching a movie about a monster, talk, talk about primal screen. Yeah. Talk about I spit on your grave. This is like you're getting out all of that oh, stuff. Yeah. And so Godzilla seems like a very, very innocent thing, right? No. But uh, I think that there's a really strong yeah. bit to it. So what I'm, what I'm missing. Uh, brings us to The Conjuring. Oh, yeah. Recent. Uh, that is uh, a great one to bring up. <laughs> so I, I, I talked about ghost stories before, that they really scare me. Sometimes people will ask me the question, what type of movies scare you the most? And the answer is ghost stories and possession stories. Oh, yeah. And they're, uh, they're just, uh, they get under my skin, and there's a reason for that. So when I was a kid... Uh, my parents were in a fundamentalist cult, basically. I thought the world was going to end in a couple of years, and they believed that demons were everywhere. And so I was brought up with the idea that if you did anything wrong whatsoever, there was a demon invisible in the house, and it would sense your sin and come and jump in you and possess you. So nothing was scarier to me as a kid mm -hmm. uh, than being possessed. And even though I grew up and I grew out of a lot of this, there's still a part of me somewhere in here hidden mm -hmm. that is terrified that that's real, that that's something oh, yeah. that can really get me. And so I... Uh, uh, I would watch these movies and they would terrify me. So The Conjuring, I actually met Ed and Lorraine Warren mm -hmm. back in the 80s, the people who this is based on. Yeah. And that was a really weird thing. I saw their little basement in Connecticut uh, and uh, the doll really was a Raggedy Ann doll, Annabelle. Uh, and it was in this big case that said, do not touch under anything. She was the, the psychic, like is in the movies, yeah. uh, and he was more of like the, the tough guy. Yep. He wasn't as much this exorcist kind of guy that's in the movies. They had a priest that they brought along with them to do things. Yeah, but yeah. he would photograph everything, Ed. And uh, so they showed me uh, the monster stuff that was happening in Conjuring 2. They talked about a whole, a whole bunch of different scary, cursed things. So... I had a big fascination with The Conjuring. I really think James Wan is a highly underrated director uh, I, because he's made so many franchises and they've all been very popular and those movies continue on like Saw. The original Saw is magnificent. I love The Saw. original Conjuring, yeah, mm -hmm. Saw is fantastic. Uh, Conjuring 1 and 2 are really, really good movies. Uh, and he does franchise. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, oh, my goodness, how can I not think of it? Uh, there were like five of them. Insidious. Oh, yes. Oh, the first Insidious. I remember watching some of that. Yeah, Insidious was really, really good. Uh, I, uh, I think that he gets hit for the franchises that are made out of his movies. But he has a fantastic understanding of suspense. And he knows what makes a scary story. That whole thing of the claps in the original Conjuring. Yes. There That's is so creepy. So That's wonderfully so creepy. Listen of what that sound does to us, because how are you doing? Yada da yada. So the way they do it brings it. It's just like the classic Jaws theme music. It that brings in the suspense itself. Yes, absolutely. And people love the rendition of Jaws, and they just oh, let me hear it again. Dun, 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 it's, yeah, dun, 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 dun. it is one of those great ones. Halloween has one like yep. that. Uh, 
uh, the uh, El- a Nightmare on Elm Street has that dun 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 dun, yeah. which is really good. But Jaws is probably the greatest, yeah, because it's so simple. Yeah. And it so hits on the thing. Yeah, so The Conjuring, I mean, James Wan, what I love is that all of his movies have those kind of hand-clap moments. He's really good at understanding. Like the original Saw, one of the greatest things in the original Saw is when the, the guy is going through the dark rooms with the camera. Yeah. And he has the uh, the old style flash that makes that wee noise while it's recharging. That is one of the most suspenseful things, and it's such a great idea because us not knowing everything, yeah. the fear of the unknown, once again, is what really fuels the uh, the th- the nightmare fuel that we mm-hmm. get. And I think The Conjuring is full of why The Conjuring is so special to me is that many of the scenes in that movie kind of like Paranormal Activity yeah. did the same thing. They hit based on, on the real story and the, you can connect with the real stories through the experience with the movie shows. They feel like the kind of things that I was afraid of. Like to me, the like I said, the ghost story is scary for the first two thirds. Same with a, a possession story because it's the idea of being stalked. Yep. It's being prey for a predator and no one believes you. Yep. And it's just terrifying you. All it wants to do is terrify you. There's nothing scarier to me. And so once you find out, oh, it's a demon, then you bring in Ed and Lorraine Warren. It's just a matter of time. It's like getting penicillin shots. You're going to get the excess of the demon out of you, most yep. likely, in these movies. And the movie gets really small. But before that, that whole thing of I am here, I'm a creature of the ethereal plane, and I now see you as a snack. You know what makes me happy? Terrifying you. You know what makes me happy? Making you look insane to all your friends. And you know that I know. And we're just having this wonderful sadistic Mm -hmm. relationship. And that idea of the demon doing that is the scariest thing to me. And so The Conjuring is really, really disturbing. When she's uh, getting possessed, the the whole idea of the basement, uh, there are so many good little pieces to that film Mm -hmm. and there's also the idea of ed and lorraine telling stories within stories another thing that's great about horror movies and several of the movies that we're talking about have them is the story within the story that just exists to creep you out and to give you foreshadowing of what might happen later so in the conjuring uh ed and lorraine warren talk about annabelle the doll right and everybody's creeped out because he is able to tell them no that's not a ghost that's a demon ghosts don't try to get into people And so uh, we get that foreshadowing, and it's not really part of the main story, but it's scary. In Jaws, there's the USS Indianapolis story where Quint is sitting there talking about how in World War II, him and a whole bunch of guys went into the water, and they were shark bait. And Nightmare on Elm Street, we find out from the mother that they killed Freddy Krueger. They set him on fire. And that has something to do with the plot, but it's still one of those things that we hear and it creeps us out more than it is uh, the, the, the story itself happening right in front of you. And I love movies that do that. I think that is just an added thing of getting your imagination going out of control. Yep, and uh, as The Conjuring is a great way to close out this particular episode, uh, is there anything you like to add and then where they can find you? 
Uh, well, I want to thank you, MC, for having me on. This has been a real treat. Uh, and I am S.A. Bradley. I am a uh, podcaster and author. Uh, you want to find my podcast, Hellbent for Heart. You can find it on any of the areas that you normally listen to your podcasts. I have about 108 episodes. And feel free to go on through and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy what you hear. And if you're interested to find out a little bit more about my philosophy of horror, you can find that on the podcast. But there's also the book, Screaming for Pleasure, or Screaming for pleasure how horror makes you happy and healthy and it basically uh, talks about several of the movies that we've talked about here and how they were important to me and how they were important to uh, culture itself and how we even find ways to uh, kind of find our our tribe. Uh, we find a way to deal with uh, the shadow self of our, our, our ways. Uh, we find a sense of humor. You can't watch these movies not have a sense yeah. of humor. Uh, and we also get to accept a little bit about ourselves and put a little bit of pressure off yeah. of the pressure cooker by watching these movies. We get to see our, our dark side, but we get to have that with the safety of a movie, which detaches us from the real horror. So all that stuff is in that book, and you can find that book on Amazon or wherever else you would like. If you want to get the book uh, directly from me, you can go to my website, uh, hellbenforhorror.com, in the book section. There are two book sections. I have a book uh, uh, section with all the books that I love from other author authors. There's also the Screaming for Pleasure thing, and uh, you can get the book from me, but also if you're someone who wants to help independent booksellers, the mom and pop stores that are having a hard time right now, I put my ISBN number, which is the coded number for the book. You get that number off of my site, you take it to your mom and pop store, they'll be more than happy to get that book for you special. That's uh, These days, I think it's really important to help the small yeah. businessmen at this point. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. This is the, uh, the horror from a critic perspective and my passion with watching it as I grew up and everything in between. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, guys. See you later.